Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. <laughs> it's September 25th, 2017, and that means there's just three months left until Christmas. Today on the show, we're going to talk about the history of the Christmas card. We'll also tell you where to tune in to get your holly jolly Christmas fix right this very minute. We're going to count down my top five favorite Christmas smells, and you're going to decide who sang Silver Bells the best. Plus, as always, we're going to continue with the great diehard debate. Okay, let's start the show. Ho, ho, ho. Welcome to the Christmas cave. We're closing in on it. There's less than a hundred days until Christmas now. You can tell because pumpkin spice is everywhere. You can get pumpkin spice coffee, pumpkin spice Oreos. I think they're selling pumpkin spice toothpaste at this point. Now, I'm not a particular fan of the stuff, but I know that waiting on the other side of all this pumpkin spiced frenzy is the happiest season of them all. So there's only a little bit of waiting left. Then again, like the title says, I can't wait for Christmas. I need a little Christmas now. We need a This tip is for your ears. One of the ways you can tell when the season has turned to Christmas is when the local radio stations switch over to Christmas music. Even though we're three months away from the big XMAS, there's a radio station that has already switched over to Christmas. I found this on the My Merry Christmas forums at MyMerryChristmas.com. It's WLQTDB, Magic 105 in Dayton, Ohio, normally playing the biggest hits of the 80s to today. That's a 30-year window. Surely they can avoid playing Nickelback. Anyway, on September 8th of this year, they made the switch to Christmas music. But Tim, what if I don't live in the Dayton, Ohio area? I'm glad you asked, imaginary listener that kind of sounds like Kermit the Frog. You don't have to live in Dayton, because this is an internet radio station. You can just stream it from their website, which is linked in the show notes of this episode at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. Well, that takes care of one of your senses, but there's still four others that need some Christmas cheer. Let's focus on an often neglected sense in today's Five Golden Things. With the sounds of Christmas music, the sights of Christmas lights, and the tastes of Christmas dinner, there is one sense that doesn't get enough holly jolly attention. Smell! Well, that ends right now. And by ends right now, I mean I'm going to talk about my five favorite Christmas smells and then most likely never mention this again. Let's get started! Number five. Peppermint. Long-time listeners of the show know I'm not a huge candy cane fan, but even I can appreciate that peppermint smell. Whether it's cookies, candy canes, or hot cocoa with a peppermint stick, you know it's Christmas time when that peppermint smell is all around. Mmm, that peppermint smells delicious. Can I have a mug of hot cocoa? Oh, no peppermint in it, please. Yeah, I know, I just said, I, I just, I, I like the smell of it, but I'd rather just drink cocoa. Yeah, I know it makes no sense. Just give me the mug of cocoa. Okay, thanks, bye! Number four. Christmas dinner. I could have broken this down into a bunch of individual smells like the roasted turkey or the mashed potatoes or the gravy or the stuffing, but it's when all those smells swirl together that you get that delicious aroma that can only be, am I the only one who's hungry right now? Number three. The fireplace. 
This is not a smell that's unique to Christmas, but fireplaces and Christmas go hand in hand for me. I don't think I've ever gotten a genuine Yule log, but the smell of whatever log is burning is enough to ignite some four-alarm Christmas nostalgia. Number two. Cinnamon. Another smell that's not exactly unique to Christmas. In fact, I just had a bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch when I was writing this month's episode. But you get some bacon going, some mulled wine, some hot apple cider, and you'll appreciate that cinnamon. I used to buy those scented candles every Thanksgiving that were an apple-cinnamon combo. I would get them from the candle store that used to be in downtown Disney in Disneyland. And since I was buying them at Thanksgiving, I'd always associate that smell with the run-up to Christmas. Honorable mentions! Gingerbread! Another case where I don't like eating this, but I love the smell. Especially now that my boys love making gingerbread houses every year. Plus, they pipe this smell in at Disneyland during the holidays, which is always a good memory. Number one. Christmas tree. Come on, you knew this had to be number one. Douglas fir, Virginia pine, balsam fir, so many types of tree, and they all smell great. Well... Except for the ones like the white pine that have no scent. But we're talking about those beautiful, fragrant trees that fill a whole room up with that unmistakable Christmas smell. So great to come home and open the door and boof, that smell just hits you. Then you get a little bonus because your nose gets used to the smell after a while. But then you leave the room and come back and bam, hits you in the face again. So those are my favorite Christmas smells. What do you think? Agree? Disagree? Did I leave any smells out that you like? Leave a comment and let us know at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. Now, it's time for notes, corrections, and other comments about the previous episode in our segment, Feedback on Our Last Show. Messages from listeners everywhere. Feedback on our last show. Feedback on our last show. As a little background, I should mention that last episode I did a top five list of non-traditional Christmas movies that I left off my first list of non-traditional Christmas movies way back in August of 2015. With that in mind, let's read this comment from the website that was left by Haley. She says, Oh my goodness, why isn't Edward Scissorhands on the list of non-traditional Christmas movies? This film's culmination takes place at a would-be Christmas party with the father on the roof stapling down fake snow a la Christmas vacation singing I Saw Three Ships. One of the iconic scenes is Kim dancing in the snow Edward is creating while making an ice sculpture of a Christmas angel. One can even postulate that the beginning and ending scenes that frame the movie take place at Christmas because of the snow red color scheme fact that Grandma Kim is there to tuck her granddaughter in. Dang, every time I listen to the podcast, I think that I should comment about this. Maybe it will make the third list? Well, thanks, Haley. Honestly, I've only seen Edward Scissorhands once, like back in the 90s. I definitely need to go back and revisit it. But I wonder if there are enough non-traditional Christmas movies left to do a third list. Yeah, maybe. Probably, in fact. You know what? If you're thinking of some uh, non-traditional Christmas movies that I've left off both lists, send them in. We'll revisit this in a future episode. But back to this episode. We've covered your ears with A Little Christmas Now and your nose with Five Golden Things, so let's move on to some Christmas for your eyes in our next segment, All I Want for Christmas is News. Baby, all I want for Christmas is news. Yeah. Give me that news, baby. Two of our news stories today are about some things you can watch on your TV. The first one comes from an article I saw from our friends at All Things Christmas. The Hallmark Channel has released its schedule of all new Christmas movies for 2017. They've got 30 new movies coming out this year. 30! Don't think that's a lot? If you combine all the Disney movies hitting theaters in 2017, both already and still to come before the end of the year, you get 10. 
That's it, just 10. And that's including Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and even Spider-Man Homecoming, which was technically Sony. So how are you going to keep all 30 of these Hallmark movies straight? Well, All Things Christmas has compiled a little synopsis for each flick, as well as a printable schedule. You can find all that at allthingschristmas.com, which will be conveniently linked in the show notes of this episode. Our next story comes from the world of music. Take a break, guys. We're bringing some ear action back up in here. There's a new Christmas album coming out this year from the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. But wait, he's been dead for over 40 years. How is that possible? Hey, never underestimate the magic of Christmas or the appetite of Elvis's record company to make money off of him posthumously. They are taking the vocal tracks of 13 of Elvis's Christmas songs and combining them with an all-new accompaniment by England's Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. They've done this twice before with Elvis's non-Christmas songs, and their results are indeed quite enjoyable. I am definitely looking forward to Elvis's Christmas hits with a full orchestra behind them. The album is called Elvis Presley, Christmas with Elvis and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, and it will hit stores October 6th with an expanded deluxe edition due out November 24th. What's in the expanded deluxe edition? I have no idea. And our final story comes from the world of network TV. Wake up, eyes! It's your turn again. Fox is bringing the musical adaptation of the classic film A Christmas Story to your home this year. They just recently signed Matthew Broderick to be the narrator, a.k.a. grown-up Ralphie. Broderick joins Maya Rudolph, who will be playing the young Ralphie's mom. That will air on Fox on Sunday, December 17th. So now you've got 31 movies to watch between this and all those movies on the Hallmark Channel. Speaking of Hallmark, let's move on to today's feature segment. Let's talk about Christmas cards. So I'm sending you this Christmas card to let you know so you. Every year, billions of Christmas cards get sent all around the world. In fact, 45% of all cards sent are Christmas cards. In 2008, the average U.S. family spent $32.43 on Christmas cards. Although the numbers are a bit on the decline, it's still a thriving tradition. But where did it come from? That's what I sent to find out. Greeting cards started with the ancient Chinese as a way to ward off the evil spirits that came around every New Year. Neon is the mythological Chinese beast that can be warded off with scripted messages of good luck. Today, we know these evil beasts as YouTube commenters or trolls. <laughs> Scary stuff. The invention of paper helped increase the popularity of greeting cards, but only among the very wealthy and elite. You couldn't just grab a card at the store and drop it in the mail. Each card was handmade and delivered by servants. So if you got a Valentine's Day card, you knew they really liked you. It wasn't until the 1840s that both Christmas and the general public would get in on the action. The man basically responsible for kicking off this tradition is Sir Henry Cole. He was a British civil servant who, among other things, was instrumental in establishing the penny post. This was the postal system in England where anyone could send a letter for the cost of, you guessed it, a penny. But that wasn't Henry Cole's biggest influence on the Christmas card. You see, he was a popular enough fellow that he would get a lot of letters. And at that time, it was considered rude not to respond to the mail you received. But Henry apparently hated writing letters. So, as Christmas grew near, he came up with a brilliant plan. He commissioned his friend, John Horsley, to design and mass-produce a card that he could send to multiple people. He had the foresight to produce more than he needed, so he was able to sell them to the public for one shilling each. The card was essentially a postcard. No fold, just a big image on the front and nothing on the back. The card displayed three scenes divided by columns and ivy. The outer two scenes showed people caring for the poor, and the center scene was a family having a large Christmas dinner. Then there was a pink banner hanging below the family that read, A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. Now, although the card was popular, it was not without its controversy. The image of the family having Christmas dinner showed a child drinking what appeared to be... Wine? (laughs) 
historians estimate that only around 2,000 cards were made and only 12 are currently known to still be around. If you happen to have one, hang on to it. It's worth way more than a shilling now. One sold at auction a few years back for $35,000 or 22,000 pounds. The idea of Christmas cards really took off in England, especially as printing methods improved and it got easier and more affordable. But it took a few years for the concept to catch on here in the United States. They were around in the 1840s, but they were still very cost prohibitive for most people. Enter Louis Prang, a Boston-based lithographer and publisher who is commonly referred to as the father of the American Christmas card. He was an early adopter of chromolithography. You see, most lithographers simply printed in black and white. If they wanted color, that would have to be done by hand on each copy. But with chromolithography, there was a different printing plate for every color. Essentially, it was a really elaborate color printer. Lewis mass-produced the first American Christmas card in 1875. It was immediately popular. Only a few years later, he was reportedly producing 5 million cards a year. But these were still essentially postcards. It would be a few more years before we saw the familiar style of cards we see on shelves today. It was 1916, and Joyce Hall and his brother Raleigh decided to self-produce their own Christmas cards. These were stuffed in an envelope because they had the more familiar fold in the middle, allowing the sender to add a more personalized message to the card. This turned out to be an incredibly popular idea, especially for folks writing to soldiers fighting in World War I. So you could say that the Hall brothers really made a mark on the greeting card industry. <laughs> I don't get it. The Halls left a mark. You know, a Hall mark. They started the greeting card juggernaut that would come to be known as Hallmark. The company that's making three Christmas movies this year? Would you get out of here? Although his unfamiliarity with Hallmark kind of brings up a good point. Christmas card sales are on the decline in recent years, despite all sorts of advancements since the early days. They have cards with your favorite characters from TV and the movies on them, cards that pop up, cards that play a little song, even cards where you can record your own voice. But one advancement that seems to have hurt the greeting card industry is the internet. As people started using email more and more, they started using the post office less and less. And that includes greeting cards. Why shell out cash for a piece of paper that's just going to get thrown away where you can post a Christmas greeting on your friend's Facebook page? But it isn't all bad news. In some ways, the internet has actually helped the greeting card industry. With the rise of print-on-demand sites, you can actually go and customize your own greeting cards. You can add your family's photo, names, and your own personal greeting. Why settle for the greeting card company's bad poetry when you can write your own? I remember fondly in the days when we were thinner, but that's before we ate your delicious Christmas dinner. Happy holidays, the Smith family. Nailed it. Actually, we here at the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast have our own line of customizable Christmas cards at our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash can't wait for Christmas. We've just started adding a bunch of new designs for 2017, including a castle with some festive fireworks behind it, a card that looks like a comic book cover starring a Super Santa, and we've even made a recreation of that very first Christmas card by Henry Cole. But you don't have to settle for that family with a drunken toddler front and center. You can actually swap out that picture with a picture of your own family. You can even change the text on the banner to something personalized. That's right, you can make your family a part of Christmas history. But it doesn't matter where you get your card, from a store, from the internet, or even if you make your own at home with some construction paper and a glue stick. The one thing all Christmas cards have in common is the ability to share a little bit of yourself and your holiday joy with the ones you love. And the ones you feel duty-bound to send a card to because you know they're going to send you one. And if you don't send them one, whoo boy, you'll never hear the end of that. Let me tell you, am I right? Hey, whoa, um, I was actually trying to bring this segment in for a sweet sentimental landing, and I think I pooched it there. Um, oh well. Play us out, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Now it's 
it's time to move on to our musical showdown feature, Who Sang It Best? It is finally time to wrap up this ongoing battle over the song Christmas Island. Back in July, it was Bob Archer and the Dinning Sisters versus Jimmy Buffett versus the Andrew Sisters. In August, we found out that you gave the Andrew Sisters the most votes. But thanks to a suggestion by Tim B., who I again promise is not me, we had the Andrew Sisters defend their title against a new challenger, Leon Redbone. Well, once again, the people have spoken, and the winner, and still undefeated champion of the best version of Christmas Island is the Andrew Sisters! Congratulations, ladies. Now enjoy a well-earned rest while we choose a new song and two new contestants. This time, we're going to choose between two fairly modern versions of a classic Christmas song. This song is the beloved 1950s classic composed by Jay Livingston and Ray Evans, Silver Bells. Okay, now we know the song. Let's meet our contestants. In the green corner, hailing from Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's Sarah McLaughlin. City sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style. In the air, there's a feeling of Christmas. Children laughing, people passing, meeting smile after smile. Out on every street corner, From the country music capital, Nashville, Tennessee, it's Martina McBride! Strings of streetlights, even stoplights, blink a bright red and green As the shoppers rush home with the treasures Hear the snow crunch, see the kids bunch, this is Santa's big scene of these songs and your official polling place at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. You can vote once a day, every day, and we'll announce the winner on next month's show. So ring those silver bells and vote early and vote often so you can decide who sang it best. And now we move on to the question we're spending all of 2017 answering. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? It's Christmas Eve in L.A. Welcome to the party, pal! Die Hard, a Christmas movie. So a while back, I asked if any of these arguments were swaying anyone. The whole point of this year-long campaign is that we're going to settle this once and for all when we vote in November. So I wanted to see if all these yippee-ki-yay or yippee-ki-nay arguments are having any effect. Thankfully, Mark wrote in to say, Merry Christmas, Tim. While thinking of reasons for why Die Hard is not a Christmas movie and listening to your podcast, I've changed from yippee-ki-nay to yippee-ki-yay. During our discussions, we've been given the Linus test, the what-does-the-internet-say test, and the test about whether Christmas decorations, expressions, and music are present in the movie test. So I thought there should be a is-Christmas-saved test. Ever notice how fragile Christmas is? Christmas must be saved every year, from Burgermeisters or Evil Toy Makers, a furry green guy, storms, jealous legendary figures, unbelief, or just a lousy attitude. Christmas is always in danger of being canceled for the entire world, a group of people, or an individual. So here's another test to determine if Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Does Christmas get saved in the movie? 
I thought I had a good argument for why McLean's heroic efforts do not constitute a Christmas movie. John never kidnaps his brother-in-law's boss, sings for all to hear, hides a Red Ryder rifle under the tree, or gives a dollar bill to a judge. He doesn't even buy a big goose, so he doesn't save Christmas. Then I realized that by saving the lives of his wife and the other partygoers in the Nakatomi Plaza, John McClane definitely saves Christmas for them. So while I'm not going to move my diehard Blu-ray to the holiday section of my collection, I will support anyone who on Christmas Eve wishes to watch John run across broken glass with bare feet. Here's hoping your Yule is festive and merry, Mark. Very nice, Mark. And it's true, you can't celebrate Christmas if you're blown up at the top of Nakatomi Tower. That's just a fact. Next up, we hear from Shelley, who says, First, I have a confession. I do not like Christmas. Christmas has never had very good memories for me, but I do love, love this podcast. I first heard you when you were a guest on the Nostalgia Podcast. You were so funny, I just had to check out your podcast, and I'm so glad I did. I went back and listened to all your shows at least twice, so I'm a big fan. Wow, I gotta stop. Thanks so much, Shelly. Especially from someone who doesn't like Christmas to listen to all these Christmas shows twice. That is possibly the ultimate compliment. Anyway, she goes on to say, I don't normally comment on any podcast website, but after listening to the Die Hard debate, I just had to chime in. Well, thank you for breaking your no podcast comments rule for little old me. Let's see what her thoughts on Die Hard are. She says, I'm a big music lover, so when I think of a movie, I usually think of the soundtrack. What is the first song you think of when you think of the Die Hard movie? Run DMC, Christmas, and Hollis. If you check out the soundtrack, it also has Let It Snow, Let It Snow, and Ode to Joy. So is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Of course it is. Just listen to the soundtrack. P.S., love the outtakes, never get rid of them, I say, bah humbug to the haters. Well, don't worry, Shelly, I have flubbed plenty in reading tonight's episode, so I'm sure there's at least one or two funny bloops awaiting you at the end of the show. But back to Die Hard, I definitely associate Christmas music with that movie, but for me, it's Let It Snow at the end. But not so fast. Here comes noted yippee-ki naysayer Brian, who responded to Shelly's comment with, once again proving my point that Die Hard is a Christmas movie for people who dislike Christmas. Huh? Can't argue with that. But I can't leave this segment without mentioning a new diehard debate development that several people brought up, from Dwayne and Michelle on our website to Arthur and Paul on our Facebook page. Apparently, there's a children's book coming out that tells the story of Die Hard as a parody of The Night Before Christmas. So if nothing else, we can assume that the author of this book and the many people who've pre-ordered it are definitely in the Yippee-Ki-Yay camp. But what do you think? Have any opinions to share that haven't been touched on yet? Are you yippee ki yay or yippee ki nay? Let us know. Shoot an email to christmas at tancast.com and help us decide once and for all, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? This is their idea of Christmas. I gotta be here for New Year's. <laughs> oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire... And that's going to do it for today's show. I think we hit all the senses. Sight with the Christmas movies, sound with the Christmas radio, smell with the five golden things list, touch when we reached out and touched your heart with all those Christmas cards, and taste, because whether you vote for Sarah McLaughlin or Martina McBride, that's a matter of personal taste. Wow, you are really stretching this metaphor. Quiet, you. Anyway, don't forget to vote for your favorite version of Silver Bells at our website. While you're there, you can check out all those Hallmark movies at allthingschristmas.com, or you can click over to our Zazzle store and check out the new crop of Christmas cards. And don't forget to send us your opinions on Die Hard. One last thing before we go, I'll be doing stand-up comedy soon at Rooster Teeth Feathers Comedy Club in Sunnyvale, California. I'll be there as part of Nerd Night with Don McMillan on Wednesday, October 18th. Then I'll be back a few weeks later for a whole weekend of shows. And by weekend, I mean Thursday through Sunday, November 2nd through the 5th with Shane Torres. So I hope to see you there, and I know we'll meet again for October episode, but in the meantime, keep laughing all the way. Ah!
was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2017. Thank you for listening to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on iTunes, or we're available on Stitcher and Google Play as well. If you'd like to leave a comment on this or any episode, go to our official website at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store, where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, bumper stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas merchandise all year long. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash can'twaitforchristmaspod. Or on Twitter, we are at christmaspod. Or you could always send us an email directly at christmas at tancast.com. The Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is part of the Tancast Podcast Network. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band. And this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the Accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Kristen Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. I hope it's not getting that lawnmower or whatever in the background. There's a lawnmower going. Can you hear that? Can you hear a lawnmower? I'm going to stop and listen. Good news! As long as I keep this door closed, you can't hear the lawnmower. And now, back to the show, already in progress. You can just swim it. You can just swim it. You can just stream it from their website, which is linked in the show. Ah! Ah! I I figured if I shouted after the words, they would somehow correct themselves. Not the case. Oh my goodness. Why isn't Edward Citizens? Edward Citizens. What's wrong with your hands? I don't know. They're just Citizens. Broderick joins Maya Rudolph, who we've... Slow down. Broderick joins Maya Rudolph, who will be who will be playing. Woo! I, w- I always want to make that one word. Who will be? Who will be? Who will be? Broderick joins Maya Rudolph, who will be. <laughs> Broderick joins Maya Rudolph, who will be playing the young Ralphie's mom. I am emphasizing too much words. The invention of paper helped increase the popularity of greeting cards, but only among the very wealthy and elite. You couldn't just... Someone's drag racing by the Christmas cave. Can you knock that off? I'm in the middle of talking about Christmas cards, man. All right, get out of here. So as Christmas grew near, he came up with a brilliant plan. He commissioned his friend, J.C. Horsley. Why did I just... One... A book I read called it J.C. and another... And a website I read called him John Horsley. We are not a scholarly poly- podcast. We are just going to call him John. What's up, John? John, what's up? You been drawing the Christmas cards, John? Man, I like what you're doing. You're doing it. You the man. All right. <laughs> I'm talking to a guy who's been dead for centuries. Century. In fact, I read a statistic that just 72% of 8 to 24-year-olds intend to send Christmas cards... Whereas 91% of people over 55 plan to... That is a meaningless statistic. I'm, I'm not including this in the show. Like, of course an 8-year-old's not sending a Christmas card. And what happened to the 25 to 54-year-olds? How many of them are saying... This, stati- this, this means nothing! Nothing! This is not going in the show. 
Back in July, it was the Bob... Back in July, it was Bob Archer and the Dinning Sisters... Back in July, it was... Back in July, it was Bob Archer and the Dinning Sisters versus Jimmy Buffett versus... <laughs> Saying the words wrong makes me angry. Back in July, it was Bob Archer and the Dinning Sisters... <laughs> Why? The Dinning Sisters. Why? Back in July, it was Bob Archer and the Dinning Sisters versus Jimmy Buss... <laughs> no! No! Apparently, there is a children's book coming out soon that tells the story of Die Hard as a parody of The Nightmare Before... No. I always say The Nightmare Before Christmas. Hi, and we're back here in the Christmas cave. That's right, we are re-recording. Why are we re-recording? Because it turns out it's not chromolithography, it's chromolithography. And I read it a different way every time I try to pronounce it. That's right, the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. Mispronouncing things since 2015.